Hey, how's it going? Just a few things before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series. Big announcement, Potterless is going live with our own show in Seattle, Washington, August 3rd at 7 p.m. at Jet City Improv Theater. That is right, you can see me basically do an episode of Potterless live and then a little Q&A session afterwards where you can ask questions, bring up fan theories, just talk Harry Potter with a bunch of friends. If you want to get tickets to that, go to bit.ly slash potterlesssea and hopefully I'll see some of your faces there. Speaking of big announcements, a trailer for a new podcast from Multitude that Eric Silver and I are hosting has launched. So the podcast comes out next week on July 23rd, but the trailer is live now. The podcast is called Horse. The point of it is to prove that basketball is entertaining and fun to follow, even if you don't care about the sport and stuff. So we're never going to talk about wins and losses or stats or anything like that. It's just silly stuff like Twitter beefs and players not liking each other and dramatic things that happen throughout the league. So if you want to find that, you can listen to the trailer now. You can search for Multitude on your podcasting apps. That actually works better because the podcast is so new that Horse brings you to equestrian-related podcasts. So search for Multitude or look for Horse wherever. We're on all over the social medias and stuff. You can also go to horsehoops.com. But I'm very excited. We've been working on this podcast for a while, and now it is finally becoming a reality. And speaking of things that make me excited, we've new patrons. Welcome to the team. So shout out to John Apeltikangas, Mackay Tucker, Melissa Brown, Megan Brogdon, Ruth Schifferaw, Emma Burton, Anna Schanzenbach, Stephanie Lewis, Rebecca Edwards, Amy Sforzen, Carrie Crumpler, Deborah Nicole, Emily D. Oaks, Kate Palombo, Maddie Susie, Mary Strum, Rennie and Veronica, Ali Ick, Nina Zinsmeister, Olivia Berry, Morgan Francis, Hannah Prawl, Emily Pahoski, Ali Beswick, Anastasia Bunda, Ice Bear, The Podcast That.com Family of Podcasts, Heather Salas, Aina Alexandra Jara, Melissa Willard, Donna Lynn, Ruth Montgomery, and someone that made their name the Ludo Bagman Defense Fund. Also, shout out to Becky Hager and Reese Clark, who upgraded their pledges, and a huge shout out to our newest producer-level patrons, Sean Montag, Jeremiah E. Hurd, Courtney Allingham, Sarah Nink, Jesus J. Morales, Ben Silver, Emily Bird, Francisco Bautista, Rachel Guthrie, Mary Bushlin, and Sharice Camontague. They joined the ranks of Leanne, Vicky, Aaron, Erica, Calvin, Sadie, Jesse, Natalie, Deborah, Clow, Alex, Rebecca, Frank, Marchese, Motori, Samantha, Juan, Sheila, Jenna, Kieran, Louise, Akanksha, Rebecca, Abid, Caitlin, Benjamin, Rosemarie, Jill, Maria, Maria, Lisa, Ariel, Romina, Kumail, Anthony, Diego, Russell, Jenny, Dustin, Katie, Audra, Indiana, Eleanor, Sydney, Billy, Rossanne, Micah, Andrea, Nikita, Colette, Chrissy, Shreena, Jeremy, Stephen, Lala, Chelsea, Taylor, Sammy, Lovekesh, Shivarni, Ali, Kalmich, Cassandra, Roxy, Melissa, Amelia, and Vince, who never have sodas explode on them when they open the caps. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content, exclusive merch, discounts on the merch on our website, or discounts on the tickets for the live show, go to patreon.com slash potterless. And finally, yesterday, an episode of Hogwarts Radio went live with me as a guest star, so if you want to hear me talk about Harry Potter and talk a little bit about the process behind Potterless, you can go check that out. So without further ado, let's get into episode 46 of Potterless, covering chapters 15 and 16 from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, guest starring Danny Chapman of the Potterotica podcast. And welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 26-year-old man reading the Harry Potter novels for the first time. My name is Mike Schubert. I am that 26-year-old man. And today I am joined by one of the co-hosts of Potterotica, a very funny Harry Potter podcast, Danny Chapman. Danny, how's it going? It is going great. I am so honored to be here. And on behalf of my other co-hosts, Lindsay Rush and Ali LaFever, I am so sorry 
that I am not smarter and prepared for this. <laughs> no, you're going to be great. Don't sell yourself short. You guys have a lovely team and I'm honored to have you on the podcast and then later on record our episode for Potterotica. It's going to be some good stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. So we today are going to be covering chapters 15 and 16 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, and they are some spicy chapters in terms of a lot of different ways, there's insults, there's love interests thrown all around. I don't necessarily plan like, oh, these chapters should be with this particular host, but the stars seem to align very well for a lot of different things. And the fact that I'm having one of the hosts of Potteratagod for a chapter that very much deals with relationships and love interests and all that, I think it is perfect. And uh, the stars have aligned again. So this is great. Us <laughs> and these two chapters are my new OTP. It was perfect. <laughs> I was so giddy. I was like, oh my God, it's everything. We have a very substantial joke about Slughorn. And mm. so just to have this book is perfect. Sure. And that's part of the reason I knew we could do this is like, I couldn't get around that excitement without you. And so <laughs> as soon as I heard that you were on Half-Blood Prince, I was like, okay, it's perfect. It's time. Mm -hmm. Good. Yes. Well, it has happened. And speaking of it is time, it's time to get started. So let's get started off with chapter 15, which is called The Unbreakable Vowel. So Christmas is approaching and Hagrid has retrieved the quote, usual 12 Christmas trees for the Great Hall, which seems a bit excessive. That is <laughs> so many. And of course, there is no mention of a menorah or <laughs> whatever they use for Kwanzaa or any other holiday. It's just, we got 12 Christmas trees and everyone else can fuck off. Well, I always actually think it's like not enough. Like that place is huge. Like, I've known rich people that have like 18 trees in their bathroom. Ooh. So they must have different expectations. It's not the size, it's not the quantity of trees. It's how you use them. And I'm sure they're decorated very well. <laughs> <laughs> so there's 12 trees. We can only hope that there are also 12 menorahs that J.K. Rowling has not talked about <laughs> for the one guy, Anthony Goldstein, the one. His mom owled him in socks. He's, he's been recognized. <laughs> so there are large groups of girls gathered underneath the mistletoe whenever Harry walks past. And I find this to be a bit abrupt that Harry has gone from like weird kid in school that people laugh at to girls are fawning over him. And I don't know if he just had like a really intense bit of puberty between the fifth and the sixth book but people really seem to have huge crushes on him, which like I get that he's like the chosen one now and they wrote nice things about him in the Daily Prophet, but like it seems very abrupt. Right. I also find it interesting that like school policy allows mistletoe, like horny <laughs> teens. No, no mistletoe in school. Like, it was that's something the I line. wondered while I was reading these chapters. I was like, how have Ron and Lavender Brown not been yelled at? They talk about them making out over the course of these couple of chapters so freaking much. How has no teacher been like, yo, cut it out. This is gross. I don't understand. Your row must be as low as your shortest house elf. If it's any higher than their house elf, house elf no go. <laughs> so Harry has to use his knowledge of secret passageways to avoid mistletoe at all costs. And Ron, who would normally be jealous of such a thing, actually laughs every time this happens, which Harry enjoys. And he is glad that Ron has a better mood about this. But unfortunately, this comes with a price. It means two things for Harry. One, more lavender brown time. And that's not good because all she wants to do is suck his face. And two, he now finds himself in the middle of two friends that won't speak to each other, which seems to be a very common theme for the squad is that two of them are not getting along. It's a very recurring theme throughout the novel. <laughs> it's a loose stool. It's it's always rickety. Not loose stool. That's not, we can edit that out. <laughs> no, we're it's keeping just it a, in. a rickety stool. 
<laughs> loose stool, very different. Uh, <laughs> so Ron has the worst approach about this whole situation, saying it's all Hermione's fault because she snogged Crumb and he hasn't done anything wrong and he's being incredibly immature about the whole situation. He also mentions that he was going to go to the Slughorn Christmas party with Hermione's friends, but then he refers to himself as a free agent, which is actually fantastic, but still, he's being a jerk. They have baseball in in the Wizarding World. or I'm sure they're free agent Quidditch players, of course. <laughs> what I loved about all this drama is that it's like a different layer of drama, right? Like, the purest teenage drama is this, mm-hmm. you know, awkward friendship and like, you know, the... Ron's first girlfriend and is so obnoxious about it. Mm-hmm. And then the next level of drama is the wizarding drama, which is just like having to um, study and back in class. Mm-hmm. But then like at the center is Harry Potter's drama, which is like all of that plus trying to defeat the Dark Lord. <laughs> like of all the problems, it seems like right now is like Ron being a shitty friend. <laughs> problem is just as big and distracting. Yeah, I mean, at least the big emphasis over the past couple of chapters has definitely been other drama and like, oh yeah, Voldemort's here too. And we kind of get this at the end of chapter 16 when he goes back to the burrow and he like talks with Lupin and stuff. But you're right, it has been a couple of chapters where we have not talked about the war that is taking place because, oh no, Hermione and Ron are mad at each other. Right. Uh, that's funny. I didn't really realize that, but you are very, very correct. It's perspective. Teenagers don't have perspective. It is, yeah. It's all about that. So Hermione avoids Ron in the common room because Lavender is just always wrapped around him. So Harry's been spending most of his time with Hermione in the library. So we cut to a scene of them talking in the library. She is trying to play it cool, saying, oh, Ron can kiss whomever he wants, and quote, I really couldn't care less, which sure. Okay, Hermione, you just attacked Ron with some birds. Like, uh, yeah, okay. So chill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and of course, while she says, I don't mind at all, she pokes a hole in her parchment when dotting an eye. So like clearly, <laughs> clearly things are not okay, Hermione, but she doesn't want to let Harry know that even though it is very obvious. Hermione then warns Harry to watch out for these groups of giddy girls because apparently Romilda Vane, who I hate, and she is plummeting through the list of worst characters, like she's approaching Percy status. Romilda and her friends have bought Fred and George's love potions and Hermione overheard them scheming in the bathroom about how they were going to try to slip it to Harry to get him to ask them to the Slughorn Christmas party. So this is terrifying. Anything that gets slipped is terrifying. Not good. We should be slipping. (laughs) We've had a lot of issues because whenever we read a story with Amritentia, people are like, that's a roofie. And it's like, well, it's not really a roofie. We're in the wizarding world, but it's not not. You know, it's not great. Yeah, it's not necessarily as harmful as a roofie, but we do have examples where love potions were used to be just as bad, if not worse. Like, look at the whole Tom Riddle senior thing and Marope. That was really bad and super problematic. So they can get to the point where it's really bad. So yeah, the fact that teenage girls are scheming about how they're basically going to slip Harry a roofie is pretty scary. Like, even for teenage drama standards, like, it's a bit much. That's my line. That's where I draw that line. (laughs) Yeah. An amazing side note, though, is Hermione talking about the potions uh, when she's warning Harry. She says, quote, which I'm afraid to say probably work. And I love that this has happened multiple times where Hermione doesn't agree with what Fred and George are doing morally, but she respects their magical craft work (laughs) so much that she's, like, okay with it. Like, it happened in the store with the daydream thing, and now with this... And I love that 
there's only a few things that will let Hermione give things a pass morally, and well-crafted and well-thought-out magic is one of them, and I love it. She appreciates the arts. She doesn't have to stand by them. Yeah. But she appreciates them. Exactly. I liked in this scene that Harry says, why didn't you confiscate them? And it's like, people already hate Hermione. You know, like, the know-it-all, like, know-it-all and narc. Like, no, Harry. <laughs> She's already done enough. She's a good friend. Totally, totally. And she does mention that they didn't actually have the potions. They were just scheming. She recommends that Harry should just ask someone to the party because then they will stop all of these efforts. And Harry says, there's no one that I want to invite. But the narrator, Harry, is like, just kidding. He's obsessed with Ginny and hasn't stopped thinking about her. And then narrator Harry mentions that Harry has had dreams about Ginny that he is glad Ron cannot perform legitimacy on to see, which is like... Harry's been having wet dreams about Ginny. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Ah! Oh my gosh. It was crazy. You know, they it was they were just swimming in the Black Lake. You know, it, <laughs> it can get dangerous. He was worried about his sister. It's, <laughs> it's not sex. It's oh my goodness. Speaking of things that have gone from zero to 100, Harry's like, I am indifferent towards Ginny too. I am deeply in love with Ginny. Has been very abrupt. But uh, that's where he's at. But I mean, he's a teenager, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I think in his puberty spurt, he got must have gotten like a lot more attractive and then <laughs> a lot more attracted all at the same time. Yeah, all the hormones are just bubbling up and firing at full blast. Harry then goes on in this conversation with Hermione and says, hold on, I thought Filch was confiscating everything. And Hermione says, and when has anyone paid attention to what Filch has banned without looking up from her essay? <laughs> Which is great. Uh, the disrespect of Filch. Very fun. Very fun. It's like the TSA. Mm. You know, like I, oh, every time yeah. I fly, I've got a full bottle of whatever. Yes. It's like <laughs> if it's in a potion, it's fine. And Filch has more people to uh, torture. Yeah, I usually do try to get away with stuff in the TSA. The only thing... Obviously, you can't bring like bottles of water or whatever, but the biggest thing you can get away with, uh, this is now a, a podcast about how to get around airport security. Uh, the <laughs> biggest thing you can get away with is like facial products. So like I've got not the best acne situation going on. I've had it since high school. I'm 26, still got it. Uh, and I've got this like anti-acne cream stuff that comes in, I think it's a, it's like a five ounce bottle. And then I think the limit for airports is 3.5. Whatever it was, I usually am totally fine bringing this on airplanes and it's totally chill, except for the Santa Barbara airport. If anyone has ever flown in the Santa Barbara airport, that TSA is the fucking worst TSA ever. They are so gung-ho. It is the tiniest airport that has like five gates. There are five to 10 gates. Not <laughs> There's no, there's one terminal, one hallway. There's like nothing. It is the tiniest thing. I have to fly into it for work every now and then. And every single time I have flown out of that airport and gone through their security, I've been pulled over for something. And one of the times it was for sunscreen that was too big. One of the times it was for this cream. And I asked the lady, she like pulled aside. She's like, you can't bring this on. I was like, why not? Because I'd never been stopped for it before. And she was like, oh, you know, it's five ounces. And I was like, okay. And she was like, it has to be 3.5 ounces. And I asked her, I was like, are we arguing about 1.5 ounces of anti-acne cream? She was like, it's against the rules. And I was like, okay, what do we got to do? She's like, well, I can either throw it out or I can give you a full body pat down. So I got like a 10 minute long full body pat down and complete confiscation of my carry-on and roller bag. So my backpack and my roller bag, they took everything out and put everything back in because I wanted to bring Neutrogena stubborn acne cream on my face to the 10 gate maximum Santa Barbara airport. I hate their TSA so much. She must have been living. I mean, she must have been so excited. Like, oh, 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 we got one. You know, he's cute. I'll make him, I'll pat him down. (laughs) Yeah, I'll pat. 
You, pat down. It's like, what? In my brain, they're- Hey, ugly, just throw it out. You, pat down. I think they're like the hot fuzz of airport security where they just like nothing ever happens and nothing bad ever happens. That The smallest thing that they can be like, oh, I haven't gotten to do anything in weeks. We got to get down this kid who's clearly trying to take over the world yeah, <laughs> with his fake cream. You're a good passenger. You, you really made their days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're probably telling the story. Oh, yeah. Did a good one into the office today. <laughs> okay. Anyway, enough shitting on the Santa Barbara TSA. Back to- You just lost their Harry sponsorship. Potter. Damn. Oh, man. I'll have to reach out to other- Airlines. <laughs> the, today's episode brought to you by every other TSA because they're way better. To get around filled, Fred and George have disguised these potions as perfumes and cough potions, which is pretty brilliant on their part. Harry questions Hermione knowing a lot about this, and she says that the only reason she knows it is because Fred and George showed her and Ginny over the summer. She goes, I don't go around just putting potions in other people's drinks or pretending to. <laughs> and before she can yell at Harry more, he goes, ah, well, never mind that, Harry said quickly, <laughs> just like sweeping it under the rug. We got it. You're self-righteous. We got it. We got it. Thanks. <laughs> so Harry then raises a pretty good point that, hey, if the girls can do this, why couldn't Malfoy sneak in that evil necklace? And Hermione's like, oh, not this again, Harry. Look, they have secrecy sensors. They would definitely pick up a dark cursed item. These potions are not dark magic. It's nothing dangerous. It's not going to be picked up by a detector. If there is a cursed item brought in, it's not going to slip by. But Harry just doesn't want to let it drop that he thinks Malfoy is a Death Eater. I also love that like Filch is responsible. <laughs> so many fantastic wizards. Let's throw, let's throw the squib on it. <laughs> yeah, let's get the one guy who doesn't know how to do magic on the case for confiscating things that could kill people. Like they said, Katie Bell would have died if she touched this thing with her bare hand. Like, ugh, maybe, maybe get the confiscation department up to snuff. <laughs> right. <gasps> maybe they should hire the Santa Barbara TSA. <gasps> oh my goodness. So thorough. <laughs> Nothing would get through. Oh They'd my be shooting down owls coming in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we no, have brought- too big. <laughs> I'm glad we've made this my my giant tangent actually somewhat relevant. I feel <laughs> I feel I feel a lot better about it. <laughs> so as Hermione is further backing up her claim by saying Filch is a bad wizard, Madame Pince creeps up on them with her quote vulture-like presence and tells them that the library is closed. Before she walks away, though, she sees Harry going through his potions book, and she flips absolute shit when she sees that there is a book that has been written in. Harry explains to her that it's his own book, and she is still freaking out, so Harry and Hermione leave. And as they're talking, Harry Potter suggests that he thinks Madame Pince freaked out because he suspects that <laughs> she heard Hermione talking smack about Filch. And he thinks that the two of them have a thing, which I'm sorry. What are what? It's our next. It's our next story. That's what Fence. Oh, Pilch. So, as an expert on Harry Potter erotic fan fiction, how many times does this couple get written about? Because this is—it's not even out of left field. Like this is like they took it out of like a hockey rink into a baseball field. Like I didn't see this coming at all. What, like, how is this prevalent in fan fiction? Because it needs to be. You know, I don't think it is as popular. Although now it it will be. We good, started good, it. Good. But we did just do a Fumbridge story. Oh no! I feel no. like in, you know Pence is kind uh. of being. A little umbridgey here, so mm -hmm. I get that attraction. Yeah. And like, it's a little BDSM <laughs> yelling at kids. I think that's Filch what they has share. a type. He has a type. Yeah, it's the next <laughs> Ron Miney is 
built. Oh, no. God, gross, gross, gross. So they enter the Gryffindor common room, and as they do, they bump into Romilda, who tries to get Harry to drink a gilly water. He says no. Then she goes, oh, you should eat these chocolate cauldrons. They're filled with fire whiskey. And I've had chocolate like this that is filled with alcohol or some sort of alcoholic-flavored stuff in the middle. Those are very good. I would very much enjoy these. These sound divine. Mike's passed out in front of the uh, <laughs> fat lady portrait. I had, <laughs> He ate the I, whole I had 12 <laughs> chocolate cauldrons. They were very good. Melda's like, I, I thought you would eat one. Who eats the whole box? Yeah, I eat so many that I don't fall in love with her, Melda. I just pass out. Like, I get too drunk and I can't ask her to the party because <laughs> I've OD'd <laughs> on chocolate cauldrons. Um, but yeah, Harry again turns those down. And while he is doing this, Hermione gives him a, quote, told you so look, which is great. You know how some people have resting bitch face? Like, Hermione <laughs> is resting told you so face. She does, but she's always right. Like, she deserves to have that face. For sure. There's so many times where she's right and her friends just don't believe her. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. So, I sympathize. <laughs> so, after after this Romilda interaction goes down, they walk a little more in the common room. And, of course, they see Ron and Lavender going at it. Hermione turns to Harry and goes, well, good night, Harry. And Harry looks at a clock and really realizes it's seven o'clock at night, <laughs> but I don't blame Hermione. And they're entwined in the same chair, which like Ugh. isn't comfortable. No. You know, it's not, there's not enough lumbar for two people on that chair. And again, they're in the common room. Like how are people not like, guys, stop. This is gross. Like this would not fly in college, like in a common room in a dorm, people would be like, stop. Well, and not just that, but they're not in like a sixth year common room. They're in like the common mm -hmm. room. So first years are like trading chocolate frog cards mm -hmm. and then they're just like sucking on each other's tongues. Like get, get a room of requirement. Yeah. Get out of here. <sighs> there are so many corners yeah. in this castle. I get that maybe it's the thing where like it is such a big and bustling common room that like people won't pay attention to it, but it is still very creepy and weird. Go to one of your shared dorm rooms and put a sock on the door. I think that is okay. However, we have discovered that the sock on the door system will not work in the magical world. As all the elves just run gonna... through and free themselves. <laughs> yeah, so Dobby needs. You gotta find Dobby sees else. a pair of socks that he really likes, and he's like, "Ooh, on my collection!" and takes another one. <laughs> Does not work. Oh, man. So it's the next day. They're in transfiguration class. The kids are learning to change their own appearance. The lesson that they are doing is they're supposed to change their eyebrow color. But Ron goofs up and gives himself a giant comic handlebar mustache. Everybody thinks it's very funny. Hermione joins in on the laughing, but she is especially mean about the laughing. So Ron retaliates by doing a cruel impression of Hermione excitedly raising her hand. We've all seen the first movie. Every time McGonagall asks, a question, and apparently it is a very accurate but very mean impression. Some other kids laugh about it, and Hermione is a good sport through the class, but the second the bell rings, she runs out of the classroom so that she can, you know, leave before anyone sees her cry. Yeah, I, I don't I don't like that. Ron has mm -hmm. overgrown his britches, especially with the mustache. It's like, okay. <laughs> Leave her alone. Not fair. Yeah, laughing at that is funny. And Harry later on says, like, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I laugh, too. But the thing that Ron did to Hermione, it's like something that you would do to someone you're really good friends with if you did it once and then you, like, nudge him on the shoulders. You're like, ah, oh, just kidding. But doing it and not being friendly about it makes it, like, very mean. Yeah, he's a jerk. Exactly. The only way he would get a pass is if he's being good-natured about it. So he's not, so it makes it worse. Ugh, it's not a good look. Yeah. So she ran out of the room so frantically, she left her stuff behind. So Harry picks it up and then realizes she's going to go to the bathroom to cry about it. So goes there. And when he approaches the bathroom, he sees Luna consoling Hermione, which is great. Luna is back. She's amazing. She's doing very well in this book. 
I like her a lot. I see why so many people love her. She gets better and better. Luna tells Harry that she thought it was Moaning Myrtle at first, but then realized it was Hermione, which is means Hermione's not doing so hot. <laughs> <laughs> like not a comparison. I thought it was another on. troll <laughs> hanging around in there. It's just reminding. Uh, yeah, not a comparison you want to get. <laughs> Luna, of course, in her lack of tact, immediately when Harry walks up, goes, "Oh, one of your eyebrows is blonde, Harry." Like the first thing she says to him, which is great. I love that she just has no concept of social interactions with human beings. Harry explains what happened, says that Ron was mean, and Luna replies, about Ron, he says very funny things sometimes, doesn't he? But he can be a bit unkind, which is like the best two-sentence description that anyone has ever given Ron Weasley. (laughs) It's very- She's apt. Quite apt. She's a people person. Yeah. So Harry asks Luna how she's been, uh, because Hermione has since left to get out of the situation. Luna says that she misses the DA, second time she's mentioned this, but she does say that Ginny stopped two boys from calling calling her Looney Luna in class. So she's, you know, she's doing all right. And she's glad that her friendships from the DA seem to have lasted outside of just that quick time in the fifth year or the fifth book, I should say, because she's younger. Harry then abruptly just out of the blue asks Luna to go to Slughorn's party with him which I love. I love that he did. I didn't see this coming because he didn't ruminate about it, but I'm very glad he did. That's how he got out of the conversation. He was like, how is this going to end? <laughs> I'm going to take her to the party. <laughs> I, he like couldn't think of anything else. Like, I'm in the girl's bathroom or, you know, like, no. Yeah, that would have been a great way to leave the conversation. He's like, well, I'm not allowed to be here. I'll see you later, Luna. But my favorite part about the invitation was that he says, I mean, just his friends. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> like build up her confidence, which for Luna is fine. But like mm-hmm. any other girl would be like, you know, then pulling out the chocolate cauldrons like, no, we're oh, this is love. Exactly. And what's great about it is Luna doesn't take the just as friends thing as a downgrade. She takes it as a compliment. She's super happy about it. She says, I'd love to go with you as friends. No one's ever asked me to a party before as a friend. I, I'd love a friend. Yeah. <laughs> that she asks, is that why you dyed your eyebrow for the party? Should I dye mine too? <laughs> oh, bless her heart. She's so good. And she's so yeah. pure. Uh, I love it. Leave it to Luna to take one of the worst things that a person can say as a friend, as a compliment. It's phenomenal. It's very good. Peeves overhears this conversation, which, why is Peeves in the girls' bathroom? Uh, He overhears this and starts yelling down the hallway that Harry has asked Looney Luna to the party, so word will be spread and Harry won't have to deal with the gaggle of girls any longer. When Harry talks to Ron about this later, Ron is also shocked and calls her Looney. Ginny steps in, says, don't call her that. She then turns to Harry and says that she is excited that Harry is taking Luna. He's like, oh, that's so great. You guys are going to have such a good time. Harry tries to feel pleased about this, but he can't like muster up because he realizes that Ginny is still at the end of the day going with Dean to the party. They're like, oh, it's great. Cries one sad tear. <laughs> Starts to be happy. I'm oh. okay. <laughs> no, but Jenny thinks I'm cool. <laughs> right. No, no, I'm fine. I love that Jenny just like swooped in. Oh, yeah. Zoom. She's got a spider sense for it. Right. Nobody talks about Luna that way. <laughs> she's a good friend. Yeah, she's good. Ginny is, as I've mentioned over the course of this entire book, this book is about Ginny Weasley, and I'm very excited. They see Hermione sitting alone at the end of the table in the cafeteria eating. Harry says that Ron should apologize, and Ron defends himself, saying, well, she laughed at my mustache. Harry replies, so did I. It was the stupidest thing I've ever seen, (laughs) which is a good point to bring up by Harry. Enter Lavender and Parvati, who arrive, and after Lavender and Ron get together and start doing what they always do, 
Parvati looks at Harry and basically, or sorry, I think Parvati is how I'm supposed to be pronouncing your name, not Parvati. I messed that up in the past. Uh, I believe the correct is Parvati. I thought it was a uh, Flor de la Croix, like <laughs> the drink. So, oh no, you're well, good. the drink, according to their website, is pronounced Lacroix. The official website for that garbage seltzer water, uh, which tastes like death, uh, is said it's pronounced Lacroix, which is not correct in any language. Either go full French or go full English. Don't call it LaCroix. That's just wrong. Makes me sad. So I didn't get either. It's it's like a <laughs> word I made up. But I do like an alternate version of Floor where she is the inventor of LaCroix. And then I have a reason to hate her more because I mm-hmm. think LaCroix tastes bad and their logo is ugly. Anyway, <laughs> um, Lavender and Parvati arrive. Parvati looks to share Harry's boredom and, you know, being over the making out that happens all the time when the two are together. And just as this is happening, Hermione walks by. And while Hermione is walking by, Parvati is overly nice to Hermione, clearly trying to make up for being shitty to her in class and laughing at Ron's impression. Hermione uncharacteristically beams back at her and is overly excited, and then we learn why, because it's all just to try to make Ron jealous. She asks if Parvati is going to the party. She says yes. She asks if Hermione is going and if she's bringing anyone. Hermione says that she's bringing Cormac, and then Parvati's like, oh, whoa, crazy. And while this is happening, quote, there was a noise like a plunger being withdrawn from a blocked sink, and Ron surfaced, which is a beautiful audio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's a great <laughs> note by J.K. Rowling to add there. Really, really gives you a good, good perspective on the kissing situation that was going down. I loved in that interaction when they were beaming at each other, Harry thought girls were very strange mm-hmm. sometimes. <laughs> so I thought maybe we could call it Harry Potter and the Mystery of Girls. <laughs> a different uh, focus on this book. <laughs> it's a, It would be a, a good alternate title. Despite Ron making a very dramatic entrance into the conversation, Hermione acts as though nothing happened. And she confirms that she is going out with Cormac. Parvati goes, wow, you really like your Quidditch players. First Crumb and now Cormac. And Hermione corrects, I like really good Quidditch players. And then leaves, which is savage, but also you're better than this, Hermione. Like you don't need to stoop to Ron's shenanigans. Uh, It makes me kind of sad. Well, not only that, and I would only assume that most Quidditch players are this, you know, the similar stereotype of meatheads, Mm -hmm. but like she doesn't need them. She's a freaking genius. That is not right. She's confused because she's attractive, but also super smart. And hopefully she gets over that soon. Yes. And I know that her and Ron end up together. I just, I want this whole drama to get bypassed because Hermione is better than this. I don't like to see her stoop so low. I also don't like that she called Cormac a very good Quidditch player when he didn't make the team. Like, I get that she helped Ron get it, but like Ron still did very well. She just made McCormack mess up that one time. And it's not like he was overwhelmingly better. He's not on the team and he was never on the team. It's not like he used to be and then Ron took a spot. Cormac was never on the Quidditch team. He's clearly not the best. <laughs> so Right. I didn't make my freshman volleyball team. I am not a very good volleyball player. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you're great, though. I'm sure you are a wonderful bump set spiker. My five at E8 are really helping me. So, <laughs> so uh, let's see. A further quote of Harry being confused by girls follows, which says, quote, Harry was left to ponder in silence the depths to which girls would sink to get revenge. 
which is very good. Very, very good writing by JK here. As Harry is about to meet up with Luna to go to the party, he sees the gaggle of girls and they are quite displeased. Uh, they look very grumpy gathered together at the entrance hall to the party. Harry starts to make small talk with Luna, asks if she heard that there's supposed to be a vampire in attendance, and she goes, oh, you mean Rufus Scrimger? And he goes, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, my father wrote this big expose about he's a vampire, but the ministry doesn't want people to know, which, you know, Luna just back on her bullshit. It's great. <laughs> when he sees her, it reminded me of like a she's all that moment. Oh, yeah. You know, because he was like, she never wear glasses <laughs> and like not her earrings. The bottle cap and, necklace. And it's like, you're right, she really cleaned up. I picture like all the music slowing. Yeah, they didn't do enough description of like, does Luna actually look pretty? It just says that Harry is thankful that she didn't wear all the weird stuff, which is like a kind of selfish take of Harry to be like, well, at least she's not dressed like an idiot while she walks into this party with me. But yes, I would have liked more of a she's all that moment or breakfast club after Claire gives the creepy girl the makeover where people are like, oh, whoa, you're actually really hot. Like that would have been a fun moment to have here, I think. Right. He's like, you're not wearing your necklace. And she's like, thanks. We're friends now. <laughs> yeah. You know, like she's like, thanks for the compliment. It's like not. That was not a compliment. <laughs> so they enter the party, which is absolutely packed. Slughorn introduces Harry to Eldred Warple, that's a name, who wrote the book about this vampire that is in attendance. This vampire's name is Sanguini, which sounds more like pasta than a person. This author mentions to Harry that he wants to write Harry's biography, and Harry is not feeling it. He really does not want this to happen, but thankfully, he gets an out of this conversation because Sanguini begins to follow some young girls, quote, with a rather hungry look in his eye, and Warfel has to run off to stop him. <laughs> the pasta is going to bite. He is <laughs> hungry. Again, like Filch, this is a dangerous creature. Who's about to eat somebody. What's <laughs> happening? Not the best security system. They got to hire the Santa Barbara TSA. Yeah. It also didn't sound like an easy process to write the book. No. Five hour interviews, months. Like he's just, He's got stuff to study for. Yeah. He was like, yeah, Harry, come on in. We'll knock it out in a couple four or five hour sessions. Like Harry's got very important things to do. He's also got to worry about not dying. I don't know that he can really, you know, do this big expose. Also, who's going to read a biography about a kid that isn't even finished going through puberty yet? Like, uh, it's going to be a bad book. Except us and yeah, all I guess of true. America. Wait, as I say this, world, <laughs> yep, I've read, I have read the first five <laughs> parts of this biography and I've enjoyed it. So uh, I am incorrect. Apparently not bad books. Warple knows what's up. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would have been great if JK went a little meta with this and she was like, you know, maybe we could have like, say a seven part series about, about your life. I'm thinking the first one about that duel you had in your first year. Maybe we could have one book for each year at Hogwarts. <laughs> Just an idea. Sanguini, get back here. Yeah, come on. Don't eat those children, Sanguini. Oh, Sanguini. <laughs> Hermione then rushes to Harry and Luna, looking quite disheveled. She says, quote, I've escaped. I mean, I've just left Cormac under the mistletoe. Apparently, things are not going well with bringing him to the party. Harry says, serves you right. And Hermione goes on to say that she chose him just because she thought it would anger Ron the most. She even considered Zachariah Smith. And Harry's like, what? No, he's just everyone's least favorite person, which he sucks. I don't like him at all. So he's in the Percy category for me personally. And Romelda, the three of them can do their own thing. Oh yeah, Give me, yep. Put those three together and 
don't ever make a spinoff book about it because <laughs> I would throw it in the trash so quick. No, the recycling. I'm not a monster. Trelawney is at the party. She's hanging out by the punch bowl and she is a little tipsy. Luna goes up, talks to her. Trelawney asks, why haven't I seen you this year? And Luna says, oh, well, this year my class is with Forenzi. And Trelawney goes on this big tirade about how she thought Dumbledore should have gotten rid of, quote, the horse, which, ooh, some pent up anger. But Trelawney, you're not a good teacher. So you don't get to like talk shit about other professors because you're you're not very good at your job and it's well established. I looked up in that line. She goes, that Dobbin, which is rural slang for a horse. Oh, I thought that was just like his first name or something. Oh. So I am as smart as those other guests. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it's rural slang for a horse, which like, I don't know, there's slang for, I'm sure there's, I guess like mutt, you mm-hmm. know, but so inappropriate. And He's magical. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to be better at divination. It's like in him. Sure. And also, I think this is one of the very few scenarios where I've actually heard about two professors teaching the same course. Like, isn't it always, it's just like, and Slughorn is the potions professor. Yeah. But now there's two divination professors. Yeah. Which like, they do that because, like, they had to bring in Forenzi when Umbridge got rid of Trelawney and then they didn't want to, like, pick one of them, so they let them both do it. And I think they also explicitly mentioned in the book that, like, it is well-established and they know that Trelawney's not particularly good at her job, so they think if she's teaching half of the classes that she could maybe manage it a bit better if she has less, you know, curriculums and stuff to make. Because, yes, she does have the magic in her, but when she makes prophecies, she, like, zones out and doesn't really do anything. It's not, like, an active thing, whereas Forenzi is, you know, it's part of his being to understand celestial bodies and stuff. So I think it's partially because she's bad. They're just going to have half of the students who graduate from Hogwarts who are, like, really good (laughs) at divination and some are okay. Well, I think, don't they, I think they set it up where they, they alternate years. So it's, like, one year you take with Trelawney and one year you take with Forenzi and then it alternates. I guess it depends on if you get an odd or even year, like which one you get more of. <laughs> They'll be like slightly better because you're because they're there for seven years. Or you're just like really good at some aspects of divination, but really bad at other aspects of divination. I can only do it outside. That's where I learned. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm really good at planets, but I'm very bad at tea leaves. Oh, Forenzi taught you planets. Yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> so Harry checks with Hermione that she won't tell Ron about the Cormac jinxing thing. She says she won't stoop that low. Harry says, good, because I need Ron for the team. And then Hermione says, oh, boys in their Quidditch. Cormac won't stop talking to me about the best saves he's ever made. And like, what is Cormac talking about? He's never been on the team. Is this like some rec league bullshit that he does in the summer? Like, he's not on the team. Cool. Tell me about your YMCA Quidditch league, Cormac. But like, I'm not impressed. You can't make any school to like, what? I don't get it. And to be talking about that constantly, like it's, it's as complex as bowling, right? Like catch a snitch, you win. Mm-hmm. Hit, hit down all those pins like I hit down all those pins <laughs> good one Cormac yeah I mean you're a real killer <laughs> he is the goalie which seems like the hardest job since there are three rings to defend and like you would have some really cool stories about dramatic saves because I feel like they'd all be dramatic but like you don't get to brag when you are not on the team but and anyway right I, ugh, I, uh, I miss Oliver Wood a lot Later on, Trelawney then talks to Harry, and while she's doing so, Slughorn comes in and praises his potions ability, and then he sees Snape, so he brings Snape into the conversation, and Slughorn's like, well, actually, I should be giving you credit, Snape, because you were his teacher for the first five years, and Snape replies, funny, I never had the impression that I managed to teach Potter anything at all. It's like, yeah, because you're a shitty professor, Snape. You are bad at your job. You write shit on the board, and then you make fun of everyone that you don't like in the class, and then you're like, oh, I wonder why Neville Longbottom's bad at potion. Oh, maybe because I shit-talked him the whole year. Uh, <laughs> you're not a good teacher, Snape. You should have been fired a lot. <laughs> 
I think you got to get in there and you got to correct this as soon as possible. You, uh. I think you're you're about to punch the computer. <laughs> it's just he's not good. He's not good at teaching. Right. Like he only appreciates natural abilities mm-hmm. or just Slytherins. Nobody can improve. Nobody can learn yeah. in this class. Learning is not what's there for perfection. You can juxtapose this with McGonagall, who really wants Neville to do well even though Transfiguration wasn't his strongest class, like wants him to succeed and she wants to do whatever she can to help him out. It's just, it shows the difference between bad professors and good professors where McGonagall really cares and is invested, especially in the kids that need more help. Whereas Snape is like, oh, I don't like you because your dad was mean to me? Yeah, fuck this kid. I hope he makes dumb potions all the time. Gross, gross, gross. Don't like Snape. So Slughorn asks Harry what classes he's taking. He starts listing them off and Snape sneers that they're all the classes for an aspiring R and Harry he goes, yeah, well, that's what I'd like to do, so <laughs> I don't get why Snape thought this was an insult. It's like, yes, this is the profession I would like. I am taking the classes necessary. Thank you, Professor Snape. A real profession <laughs> that is really well respected. Yes, highly regarded. It's not like he's starting a podcast. Oh. You know, he's going to be an horror. <laughs> oh, those damn podcasts. Oh, especially a Harry Potter podcast. Who would do that? <laughs> so Luna then tells Harry that the Aurors are part of the Rotfang conspiracy, where they're trying to take down the Ministry from the inside with a combination of dark magic and gum disease. Harry then thinks to himself, quote, it had been worth bringing Luna just for this. (laughs) Which, yup. (laughs) So good. So, so, so good. I love that Harry has a good approach to Luna's obnoxiousness, where he just, like, laughs it off rather than be like, oh, Luna's so weird. Like, I'm glad Harry's come around on Luna. Filch then brings Malfoy in to Slughorn, saying that Malfoy is trying to sneak into the party. Malfoy goes along with this, asks to be let in. Slughorn lets him in, but then Harry notices that Malfoy doesn't really look happy to be at the party, so Harry thinks something is up. Snape then asks Draco for a word, aside, and they step out of the party, and Harry's like, oh, something is definitely up here. So I, reading this, is like, oh, right, the chapter has been called the Unbreakable Vow the whole time, like, they're gonna talk about it. And then Harry pulls the invisibility cloak out of his pocket. How big is his pocket? What is he wearing? (laughs) Like, what? Right, if it's pocketable, I use it all the time. Yeah. Does it fold every, up really, every day really 100 small? times? Like, I don't know if robes just have giant pockets or if he's wearing like a hoodie and he's got it in that like middle pocket where your two hands fit in or something. That was baffling to me that very casually it's just like Harry pulls it out of his pocket. Like, this thing is supposed to cover his entire body. You can't just like put a blanket in your pocket. That's not how blankets work. It's like a poncho. <laughs> yeah. It's like a poncho. Yeah, okay, me, yeah. You know, that you oh. overpay for it when it's raining. But still, that's really big. Yeah, I guess the thought is like, if it is like a poncho where it's like really thin, technically, it could like, you can bunch it up really, really tiny. Like when people have those like emergency rain jacket situations that fold up really small and can fit in a tiny like zip pouch. Like break when you sneeze on them. (laughs) So it's a magic book about magic things. Maybe it's made of a magic material. (laughs) I pictured when he pulled it out. It was like, you know, he's like sleuthing along the walls, even though he's invisible, <laughs> like so, so spy about it. I'm also imagining him pulling it out of his sleeve like a, like a bad magician, like, oh, but no one can see it because it's invisible. <laughs> What's he doing? Oh, man. So Harry puts it on, sneaks down the hallway and overhears Snape and Malfoy behind a locked door, puts his ear to the keyhole and hears like starting in mid conversation, them talking about what's going on. Basically... Snape is yelling at him for the cursed necklace thing. Malfoy says he had nothing to do with it. Katie Bell must have had an enemy. He yells at Snape mid-sentence saying, hey, stop trying to do that in reference to Snape trying to legilimens on him. Malfoy says that he can stop Snape. Then Snape says, oh, Auntie Bellatrix has been teaching you oculumency, I see. Uh, what 
thoughts are you trying to conceal from your master, Draco? And then Draco says, I'm not trying to conceal anything from him. I just don't want your interference. Thoughts of Ginny Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> She's smoking I don't want her. I don't want Voldemort to know. So Snape says that he's trying to help Draco, explains the vow situation. Malfoy is like, well, looks like you'll have to break it. Uh, and says, the job is mine. I'm going to do it, even if it's taking longer than it's planned. I have a plan. He won't tell Snape the plan. Snape is like, come on, I want to help you. You can confide with me. And then Malfoy says, I'm not alone. I have help. But then Snape replies, well, you were alone tonight wandering about, which is foolish. And Malfoy's like, well, I wouldn't have been alone if you didn't put Crabbe and Goyle in detention, which Snape did for them being really bad at defense against the dark arts, which is great. Right, like, that's your squad. Like, mm-hmm. not helpful. <laughs> they can join Filch checking all of that, you know, all the owls coming in. He, yeah, he does explicitly say, like, if you are putting your trust in Crabbe and Goyle, that's a problem. Like, this is not good if this is your backup team. Malfoy says he has other people working on it, though, better people. Snape then says, you should confide in me. Malfoy says, I know what you're up to. You just want to steal my glory. And then he storms out, and that is the end of chapter 15. Arms flailing, knocking people over as he runs down the hall crying. (laughs) But thankfully, Harry dodges all of these flailing arms. Hey, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, who make this show possible. So then we get into chapter 16, which is a very frosty Christmas, which my first thought, like from Wendy's, but obviously the chapter starts with Harry feeling in Ron about what happened at the end of the previous chapter, like every chapter in Harry Potter. Ron is shocked and especially does not believe the unbreakable vowel part because Ron says, quote, you can't break an unbreakable vowel. And Harry says, I'd worked out that much for myself, funnily enough. Ron mentions that if you break it, you die, which I don't know if they mentioned that in chapter two when Snape makes it or if it was just like heavily implied. This wasn't too big of a shock to me, but Harry is like, whoa, that's a big deal. Nobody reads your diary? Like, <laughs> like unbreakable is unbreakable, dude. Yeah. So Ron says that Fred tried to trick Ron into making an unbreakable vow when he was like five, but Mr. Weasley busted in and yelled at them and said, you can't do this. And Ron says, quote, Fred reckons his left buttocks has never been the same since. Harry replies, yeah, well, passing over Fred's left buttocks. And then Fred enters in, I beg your pardon? Which this is the second time Fred has done this <laughs> in this book alone and this is my favorite trope that happens throughout the series and I love it this is the best use of this trope yet is Fred overhearing people talking about his butt when he walks in the room right comes in audience applauses <laughs> breaks the fourth yeah. wall winks gets back into yeah, the scene camera zooms in on his face he goes <laughs> eh <laughs> Fred then presses Ron about Lavender Brown. Ron says, mind your business. Fred replies, what a snappy retort. I really don't know how you think of them. Fred just murdering it. He then asks if Lavender has had some sort of accident and Ron in anger throws his knife that he was using to slice parsnips for Molly at Fred and Fred turns it into an airplane with quote, a lazy flick of his wand, which, oh my God, Fred is so good. I love this family. Molly sees this, of course, and says, don't you ever let me see you throwing knives again. Ron says, I won't. And then waits for her to leave and then he mumbles under his breath let you see which is a classic move that i did as a teenager all the damn time i can totally sympathize with ron i did this so much (laughs) you you won you won that one (laughs) can i talk about the knife in this situation totally um because i know they talk about it later but like the fact that molly makes them cut the parsnips Mm -hmm. when they could defendo and be done Mm -hmm. with it Molly is so in control. What a mother. <laughs> it builds character. Huge fan. It's like the muggle equivalent of like not letting your kids watch TV. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they're going to read a book. Uh-huh. It's like, but TVs are faster. <laughs> you know, there they are savagely 
cutting through a million parsnips. Yeah, it'll put a hair on your chest. Uh, so Remus is arriving tonight. Charlie isn't, which, uh, why is Charlie written out of this book series? He's the best Weasley. I want to know more about Charlie. I'm so mad every time he's not included in stuff. That's what fan fiction's for. As soon as you're done, you can get as much Charlie as you want. I'm reading every Charlie Weasley thing as soon as I'm done because I need more <laughs> of him in my life. Fleur has to bunk up with Ginny. Fred says, quote, that'll make Ginny's Christmas, which is amazing. Fred confirms that Percy is not going to show up. Molly says, oh, I'm assuming he's too busy at the ministry. And Fred goes, or he's being the world's biggest prat. Uh, great. Anytime you make fun of Percy, I'm down because that dude is the true villain of the series. My least favorite character. Not all Weasleys. Not, <laughs> yeah, there's that one. Summer prefects. None are perfect. Oh, I like it. That is a good tagline. Ron and Harry get back to talking. Harry says that he's going to tell Dumbledore and maybe Arthur about this Malfoy thing, but he's afraid everyone's just going to tell him that Snape might have been doing it as a lie to Malfoy to try to get him to figure out what is going on, which honestly very well could be the reason. And my guess is that this is exactly what the reason is. And that Dumbledore is like, yo, you know, he's the spy. Do this for me, please. Fred has made the angel on top of the Christmas tree a garden gnome that bit him in the ankle and dressed it up in like gold paint and a tutu and stuff. And the little sketch at the top of chapter 16 of what these garden gnomes look like is terrifying and much <laughs> larger than I was imagining. And I am very scared of these gnomes. I thought they were like the size of your hand. They are large, like a foot and a half tall and uh, super creepy. Not a fan. I don't understand this. There was a fight. They had a fight to get them down. <laughs> also in the decorations, Ginny did such a paper chain explosion. Mm -hmm. She did so many paper chains that it was like an explosion of them, mm -hmm. which again, without magic, I don't know if I can see Ginny, this boss, just like, handful <laughs> no so i bet she chains. i bet she snuck around and did some magic to make it happen and just didn't get caught yeah because <laughs> she's that much of a boss so mrs weasley puts on her favorite singer celestina warbeck who i believe we have heard mentioned in the series before as the only other band besides the weird sisters <laughs> that exist there's like two musicians you can see celestina and the weird sisters and that is it fleur is in the room and she is not feeling it she is clearly disgusted by the song. Ron is darting looks over to her and Bill to, quote, try to get tips, which, ugh, gross. I don't need to know about this. Mrs. Weasley starts to have a sentimental moment about the song, mentioning that her and Arthur danced to this when they were 18, and she kind of nudges Arthur, right, Arthur? And he was asleep. He's like, oh, 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 yeah, oh mm -hmm, yes, wonderful time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I loved the song so name, A Cauldron Full of Hot, Strong Love. Yes. We're gonna have to use that as a title or something. It seemed like the title of the song was definitely more risque than the lyrics because throughout this scene they kind of intersperse the lyrics of the song and they're not like that bad but like the title I was like oh okay like a bit spicy for a family listen to music session right I'm just gonna put on Marvin Gaye and Celestina Warbeck <laughs> come on family let's, let's get just it play on. some Barry White and talk about Christmas <laughs> <laughs> so uh Arthur and Harry then start talking and Arthur reveals that Stan is still locked up and he's in Azkaban, which is like, whoa, crazy. They are doing this mainly for appearances because three arrests sounds better than three mistaken arrests and releases. So the ministry is back on their bullshit and is still corrupt and gross, even though Fudge isn't in charge anymore. 
Harry tells Mr. Weasley the Malfoy thing, and Lupin overhears this and then kind of jumps into the conversation, and he basically gives the defense that Harry was expecting, saying Dumbledore trusts Severus, and that ought to be good enough for all of us. Harry brings up, though, that Dumbledore isn't perfect and can make mistakes, and he asks Lupin, do you even like Snape? And Lupin replies, I neither like nor dislike him, dot, dot, dot. No, Harry, I am speaking the truth, quote, as Harry pulled a skeptical expression, which I can very much envision, and I like a lot, and I hope it's in the movie, but if I've learned anything from the movies, all the good stuff like this gets on the cutting room floor, so I'm not expecting it. I won't tell you verbal. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like... He doesn't even have a good haircut. Like, do you like him? Like, that's not the qualifier for... (laughs) Exactly. If he's, you know, on... If he's a Death Eater, like, no, we need proof. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Though they do say his hair is bad now. (laughs) Um, Lupin says, we shall never be bosom friends, which is that a British way to say, like, best buddies? Because bosom friends is a very strange term, and I don't know if British people actually use this, but that's weird to me. And now it is time for British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James. Bosom friends is an English term to mean someone that is very close, too close friends. It comes from the idea that you can have heart to hearts with someone, that their hearts are close, i.e. their bosoms are close. And it's usually bosom buddies, not bosom friends, I believe, (laughs) amongst the youths. This has been British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James. It is a friend you are so close that you will touch bosoms with, Mm. (laughs) which must be a very deep level. (laughs) So uh, it says we shall never be bosom friends, but don't forget that Snape did make me Wolfsbane potion every month while I was teaching. So Lupin is being very chill about this, very mature, and I very much like Lupin's approach to this, where he's like, look, I don't have a strong opinions about the guy, but I really trust Dumbledore, and Dumbledore trusts this guy, so... I'm okay with it, which is basically the approach that everyone should have. But Harry, of course, is Harry. Lupin starts talking about how Harry is basically determined to hate him and that it's understandable for Harry to hate him because of the way that Snape treats him and the whole history that Snape and Harry's father have. But he basically tries to reassure Harry that Snape very well could just be following Dumbledore's orders and we've got to leave it at that. After he does this, the song ends and Fleur goes, is it over? Thank goodness, what an horrible. And that is the cue for everyone to go to bed because she just shit on this very important song to Mrs. Weasley. Like, Fleur is not great. She's not doing smart things. You gotta be nice to your potential future mother-in-law, even if you don't agree with her, Fleur. That's like how in-laws work. Get out of here, Delacroix. (laughs) Delacroix. Yeah, go drink your Pomplamoose-flavored Delacroix. So Harry asks Lupin what he's been up to. Apparently Lupin has been living amongst werewolves to spy on them at the request of Dumbledore. He's been following Fenrir Greyback, and I wanted to double check. This is who Malfoy mentioned back a couple chapters ago to Borgen, right? When he's like threatening him against the store wall, and he's like, don't make me stick Greyback on you. I believe this is the same guy. You are paying close attention. Okay, good. Yeah, I was going to say, you are more apt than Harry, as is (laughs) everybody, because... He doesn't remember it in the scene, right? Yes, and that's what made me worried for a second. I was like, wait, this is normally the part where Harry would be like, Harry recalled that Draco said this blah, 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 but I guess uh, JK wants to save this for people to go back and read without being explicitly told it and be like, aha, which someone actually just sent me an email to the Potterless Gmail account about all of the like little things that are peppered in and uh, aren't mentioned. Like in book two, Arthur talks about Mundungus Fletcher for like a sentence and then you don't meet him until a couple books later. So there's like a bunch of these things peppered in. JK Rowling does this where like sometimes she will refer back and it'll be like, Harry remembered, but those are the times where she just like lets it go under the rug. 
drug, and I'm guessing this is one of them. Wouldn't you, though? Like, oh, uh, remember my friend Tom? Like, no, I don't remember Tom. Like, remember my friend Fenrir Greyback? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I remember, remember that. that guy. <laughs> so uh, There we go. Yeah, so we learned that Fenrir Greyback is the head werewolf. I thought he was just, like, some brutish big dude that was going to be, like, the equivalent of a bodyguard. But no, he's much more than that. He is the head werewolf that wants to spread the werewolf's numbers as much as possible, and he encourages biting children to try to turn them against wizards at an early age. This is very intense. Very intense. I've created a name for this. Okay. Um, he's a pedivore. Oh. One who eats slash bites children. Oh. You're going to have to get that trademark. It's That's good. Pedivore. <laughs> so useful. Oh, I love it. So Gravac is also the one who bit Lupin, which plot twist. Lupin mentions that at first he thought not to blame him once he started having these things where he turned into a werewolf. He's like, oh, I can never blame someone for biting someone else. Like, once you're a werewolf, you can't really control anything. But then he got to learn about Greyback more during this undercover reconnaissance mission and he realizes that he should not be nice towards Greyback and try to not blame him. He should blame him because he's learned that Greyback positions himself near his potential victims on full moon specifically so that when he turns, he will bite them. So Greyback, not a good dude by any means at all. Lupin says that Voldemort has promised him prey in return for his services. So basically, Voldemort gets to use werewolves as henchmen slash guard dogs or whatever, and Voldemort gives them people to bite. My children buffet, Hogwarts <laughs> Express. Yep, pretty much. So Harry then asks about the Half-Blood Prince. Lupin says the Half-Blood what? So clearly he's never heard of him. Harry really wants it to be a marauder and keeps asking these pressing questions and Lupin continually denies. Harry brings up Levicorpus, which is something that the Half-Blood Prince invented, and Lupin goes, oh yeah, that was very popular during my tenure at Hogwarts, but Jinxes go in and out of style, which makes me like imagine that there's like some Jinx equivalent of cargo shorts where it's like, oh, you use Flipendo? Really? Come on, <laughs> Richard, get it together. Right. In the 80s, they just had like Cr Crimpus Maximus, everything neon, neonis, whatever's in style. I love that concept. Yeah. Lupin then gives Harry the idea to check out how old the book is. So just before bed, Harry does so, and he finds that the book has been published 50 years ago, but that's the published date? I don't understand like what that's gonna do, but Harry's like, ah, throws it aside in disgust. And it says it was published 50 years ago. Didn't Tom Riddle go to the school 50 years ago? So I think they're, again, trying to heavy-handedly make you think that the Half-Blood Prince is Voldemort. I think so, yeah. Yeah. The ISBN number adds up to 18. <laughs> All of the numbers in the ISBN are I am Lord Voldemort. <laughs> they spell out Tom Marvolo Riddle. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they're, I think they're really trying to make you think that it's Voldemort, which I don't know who the Half-Blood Prince is, but I really do think that it's Snape. And I'm very convinced. This is, again, could be me falling for the Ludo Bagman type red herring situation that I fell for very badly in the fourth. But I think that with them really trying to make you think it's Voldemort, it's actually Snape. Next morning, it's Christmas. Ron has received a gross necklace from Lavender that says, my sweetheart on it. Harry says, nice. You should definitely wear that in front of Fred and George. And Ron's like, oh, stop. Uh, uh, why would you give this to me? Harry says, well, think back. It's a test. <laughs> it really is. Harry says, well, think back. Have you ever let it slip that you'd like to go out in public with the words, my sweetheart round your neck? Like, Harry taking a page out of the Ginny slash Fred Weasley book, just saucing up Ron. Love it. Ron says that they don't talk much. Harry's like, all right, because it's all snogging. Ron confirms. Everyone has new Weasley sweaters at Christmas lunch, except for Fleur, which is amazing. Harry's has a snitch on it. And the other gifts that Harry got for Christmas was a bunch of wizarding wheezes from Fred and George, as well as a box from Creature, which turns out to have maggots in it. 
uh, which is a great gift. Who wouldn't love a good set of maggots? While he's at lunch, there's a maggot like in his hair and Ginny like pulls it out of his hair and Harry quote erupts in goosebumps that had nothing to do with the maggots. So again, big ol' in love with Ginny. He's just hormones dripping out of his ears. All, all over the place. Ron spills gravy trying to pass it to Fleur. Bill saves it before he can get anywhere and Fleur's like, oh, you are as clumsy as the tonks and Molly is not happy about that. Fleur is just digging a deeper and deeper hole. Everything that Molly likes, Fleur is just shitting on. Then, since the conversation has turned to Tonks, Harry's like, oh, right, her Patronus changed and starts to ask this to Lupin. Harry starts to put two and two together that it probably has changed into Sirius's dog, Patronus. But before they can get into that, Percy approaches, and it's not just Percy. It's Percy and Scrimger, because Percy is a fucking narc and has brought the Minister of Magic. Bring your boss to Christmas Day. Oh, it's so bad. They go in and they lie, saying that, oh yeah, we were doing work in the area and Percy couldn't help but see his family, which everyone's like, uh, what? Then Scrimger says like, oh, I'll just take a look in the garden and just walk around. Maybe someone should come with me. How about you there? Pretending to not know Harry's name, even though there were a bunch of other people that were done like singling out Harry. So everyone's like, oh, okay, this is it. And everyone like tries to talk to Harry. He's like, are you sure? And Harry's like, this is fine. Yes, this is okay. And they go outside and Scrimger has a awful conversation with Harry that largely results in Harry either not saying anything or just putting down exactly what Scrimger tries to say. Basically, Scrimger tries to talk to him about the prophecy. He refuses. He wants to talk about Dumbledore. He refuses. He tries to talk about Harry going in and out of the ministry to make it look better. And Harry's like, this is weird. Then Scrimger goes on this thing about how, like, it doesn't matter if Harry's actually the chosen one, just that people think he's the chosen one. I, like, I thought Scrimger was okay. I am very anti-team Scrimger now. He sucks a whole lot. He's very bad. Harry was, like, just a minute away from being, it's an A to B conversation, so see your way out. (laughs) So sassy. Like, get out of here, Scrimger. He sucks. Yeah. At one point, he says something like, do you know what Dumbledore's been doing when he's not at the school? And Harry's like, I don't know. And then Scrimger's like, and you wouldn't tell me if you did, did you? And he goes, no, I wouldn't. So Harry's absolutely killing it. Basically, Scrimger is saying that he's going to have to try to find out by other means. And Harry says, you know, it's not going to work out. Even though you seem cleverer than Fudge, I thought you would have learned from his mistakes. Dumbledore's still headmaster. Fudge isn't working there anymore. I'd leave Dumbledore alone if I were you. There's a long pause and then Scrimger's like, well, it's clear to me that he's done a very good job on you. Dumbledore's man through and through, aren't you? And Harry says, yeah, I am. Glad we straightened that out. Turns away and that is the end of the chapter and that is the end of this episode of Potterless. Sticks his tongue out and goes... (laughs) Back into Christmas. <laughs> yeah, the final nail in the coffin. So, Danny, how are you feeling about these chapters? Incredible. I, again, I am so excited we got to read these. I would say it was like 50% hormones, 50% uh, something else. So, something Voldemort. So, um, <laughs> I loved it. And uh, it's such an honor to be on with you. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. I'm glad I got to make a word. Do you want to talk about Potteraka for a little bit? For all the listeners who are unfamiliar with your uh, Harry Potter podcast. Yes, so every week we read author approved. That's really important to us. Mm -hmm. It's erotic fan fiction. And then we add our own spin on it. Uh, And like you, we don't read it before we read it live on air. So it's a little improvised and you get our honest reactions and... um, this was especially exciting because we have like this whole running joke about um, the fact that Slughorn is the furniture that all of the students are having sex on. <laughs> uh, yes. So I was especially excited. It's not That's Slughorn. Awesome. It's his evil um, brother, Plughorn. So um, <laughs> when Ron Even and Lavender better. are twisted in the chair, that might be Plughorn just in the wrong place. That's amazing. So That is so good. Um, 
Anyway, so check us out. We just finished our sixth season. We're in between seasons, and so we're excited to have you on. It's going to be great. We'll try and do this without spoiling anything for you. Yes, that would be very important. We'll be starting season seven soon, which uh, each season's a different pairing. So there's something for everybody, oh, yeah. even those fun bridges are. Ooh. Fun bridges is. is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danny, thank you again so much for being on. Everyone go listen to Potterotica. They also, you guys also have an amazing Facebook group that I was a part of for like half of a day. And then there were like too many spoilers. And I was like, I'm very excited to finish the books and get more invested into that. Harry You'll Potter be welcome group. back. Because <laughs> you guys are sharing some great stuff. I'm very, very excited to be there. Uh, but yes, thanks again for being on. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they begin Christmas meals, wizard on! If you go to our website, potterlesspodcast.com, you can see articles that people have written about the podcast, and a lot of them are written by listeners of the show like you. Most recently, one of our listeners, Pooja, wrote an article for TU Delta about Potterless, and it was very sweet, so you can check it out there. We have a featured article of the month, and there's some other great stuff on the website as well. Potterless was created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert, as well as Leanne Davis, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Erica and Calvin Bauer, Sadie Bear, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Deborah Wilkins, Klaus Serlopu, Alex Stark, Rebecca Adam. Frank Giotto, Marchismo, Tori Larsic, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfelio, Sheila Vidian, Authen, Jenna Dowsett, Kieran Webb, Luis Nusak, Akanksha Saxena, Rebecca Vinznez, Abid Ahmed, Caitlin Drun, Pontello, Benjamin Bridges, Rosemary Dodge, Jill Boulay, Maria Lisa Sikin, Maria Paulton, Ariel Bird, Romina Rivadanera, Kumail Doc, Anthony Bonarigo, Diego Matienzo, Russell Dunk, Jenny Nilsson, Dustin Bolin Cooch, Katie Rogers, Audra, Indiana Mercer, Eleanor Curlin, Sydney Cawthorn, Billy Hinton, Rossanne Batamana, Mike Cacole, Andrea Franz, Nikita Power, Colette Smith, Chrissy Blackburn, Shrina Unadcat, Jeremy Bonnie, Stephen Gagne, Lala Palmer, Chelsea Green, Taylor Arm- Armstead, Sammy Curdy, Lovkesh Longer, Shivarni Patel, Ali Madsen, Kalmich, Cassandra Aponte, Roxy Sanchez, Melissa Traver, Amelia Kraus, Vince Clancy, Sean Montag, Jeremiah E. Hurd, Courtney Allingham, Sarah Nink, Jesus J. Morales, Ben Silver, Emily Bird, Francisco Batista, Rachel Guthrie, Mary Bolshin, and Sharice Camontague, web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campomanis. You can find us at twitter.com slash potterlesspod, facebook.com slash potterless, and instagram.com slash potterlesspodcast. If you like the show, why don't you tell a friend or a family member, or leave us a rating interview on iTunes. Both of these things help more people find the show and grow our Potterless family. For bonus content, go to patreon.com slash Potterless. And again, our website is Potterlesspodcast.com. Thank you folks so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! Wizard on!